Welcome to Wisco Dice. Hey, yo, folks. Today is June 27th, 2021, and this is episode 82 of the Wisco Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. On today's episode, we will cover our interview with the creators of the new Kickstarter game. It's going to be featured. It's going to be awesome. It's distilled from designers right here in Wisconsin. We're going to also talk about how to stay cool at the game table when everything goes wrong. In our hobby corner, we're going to catch up on our miniature painting and hobby projects that we've been working on. But first, let's meet our hosts and dive into the games that they have been playing. So, hey, folks, I am your host, the Conzie with the most. I am joined by the one, the only, the Stark, the raving, the mad one himself. Hey, Brian, what is going on, buddy? Hey, man, it's going really good. I'm actually no longer a disembodied voice. We are here in the studio. Pretty exciting. That is pretty <laughs> exciting, man. So, Justin, what's going on, bud? Hey, Ben. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm doing great again. Super cool to see everybody in person. Very excited. By the way, that was the Meeple's champion, <laughs> if you smell what the Meeple is cooking. And we've got the Ghost Walker, the strange, the mythical, the misty one himself. What's going on, Matt? Hey, everyone. It's so great to be in person. Doing really, really well today. And we have a new voice for the podcast. She's been behind the scenes keeping all of us unruly ones in order. We have the brave one. Hey, Suzanne, what's going on? Hey, not much. Glad to be here with all of you recording my first podcast. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> clap, 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 clap. Hey. Yay. Yep. So we have another member on the show. Suzanne's been behind the scenes helping us run all of our marketing, helping do some of the reviews of the blog articles, and just generally bouncing ideas off of me for about the last seven or eight months, I think. So it's great to have her on the show and being part of the team as well. So let's go ahead and dive into the games we've been playing, though. So I'm going to start this off with the game Nemesis. Now, this is a game that Suzanne and Justin have played uh, with me in different game uh, game sessions, but... uh, we had a blast playing it. It's from uh, the publisher Awaken Realms. It takes about two to four hours. I'm going to lean a little more to the three to four hours in actual playtime. There's a bit of setup and whatnot on top of that as well. Plays one to five players, which is pretty cool. Nice That nice game you can do solo. You can play uh, with a larger group. Basically, in the game, you're going to wake up from cryosleep on the Nemesis spaceship heading to what you think is Hearth. Next to you is one of your shipmates. His chest has been exploded. You have no idea what's going on, nor can you recall exactly the layout of the ship. Your goal is to not only survive, but to accomplish some secret objective. At the start of the game, you'll have a couple of those secret objectives. You'll work as a semi-cooperative with the other players in the game. And as you play various intruders which are basically aliens will appear on the board and attack you and do damage and potentially infect you and mean that your chest explodes at some point or various other horrible things happens and you know you might just uh, lock on to a corporate objective that means that you want to ensure that one of the other players doesn't survive as well that's the whole semi-cooperative aspect. But during the game, you'll move around the game board and discover various rooms, and they will do things and give you extra abilities and actions, and you'll manage a set of cards that help drive what your actions can do and help you pay for uh, the expenditures of what it costs to do those actions. And eventually, 
If you're fortunate, you'll either return home to Earth, alien-free, and with your objective accomplished, or you'll launch off an escape pod and have your objective accomplished, and uh, maybe that means that Player 3 didn't survive, I don't know. And yay, that's the game. Unfortunately, uh, in my last play, which is uh, our play <laughs> that I played with you, Justin, yeah. we, uh, <laughs> we unfortunately had the ship completely malfunction. We had all... Uh, there are so many rooms that can malfunction during the game, and uh, we had too many malfunctions. We ran out of malfunction tokens, and at that point, you lose the game. The whole ship just fails and blows up while it was headed to deep outer space. It was kind of <laughs> silly. And then, uh, uh, Suzanne, we played. What happened to to you at the end of that game? Oh, my scientist, I think I was, just kind of beat on the big alien and almost died, like almost killed it, actually. Yeah, didn't you get to the escape I- pod? I got to the escape pod, but we couldn't launch it. There's not enough turns left. Yeah. So close. And then, yeah, I just died horribly in that game. So <laughs> I, I went on for several rounds by myself. Yep. I don't need anyone else, I guess. So you're saying Murphy's Law was in full effect on this day. It was. So I will say this game, if you like the Alien franchise and you want a board game that captures that Alien feel, holy cow. Like, a I love games with great narrative. This game just tells the story the whole time you play it. What did you guys think of it that you played it before? It exactly captures the feel of an alien movie. Really, really good story and theme. Um, I think, you know, even though we sort of had this anticlimactic ending (laughs) where the ship just blew up because some spark triggered based on uh, the guy we were playing with had done some sabotage and like just... We had nothing repaired, so the ship just blew up. But uh, the the whole story of how we got there, and you know him doing his sabotage. Well, he's I think he was the engineer. He was the mechanic. The mechanic. Yeah. He was supposed to be repairing the ship, but all along he's been <laughs> had this secret objective to just sabotage. And uh, I think one of one of us was supposed to yeah, die he... uh, for that objective. The story that came out of that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, we were we were too busy backstabbing each other and not busy enough with trying to deal with, <laughs> with keeping the ship flying. So I, it was hilarious. I I correct me if I'm wrong. I think we all ended up picking corporate objectives for that one. The one I picked was actually kind of okay because it was just like we had to research uh, the aliens a certain amount for my objective. So it wasn't like directly antagonistic to anybody. But yeah, we all just decided to backstab each other right away and pick corporate objectives. It was pretty pretty backstabby that game. Yep, and, and obviously it worked out. We all died. We yeah. got <laughs> two of the three of us got our corporate objective fulfilled at least. Well, I will say, you know, and and I've 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 watched this played online, and I think I was here the night that one of the nights you guys were you playing were. it. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things I noticed really quickly is it kind of reminded me in some respects of the way a pandemic board can just suddenly spiral out of control on oh, you. Oh, yeah. And it, I mean, even though it's not that type of game, it had that kind of feel because it was like, I was like watching you guys and you were like, oh, everything seems okay. And the next <laughs> minute it was like, it's very wrong. It's very wrong. And it just kind of yeah. like very quickly yep. spiraled. And you oh, guys yeah. were like, ah. I think we woke up the queen on very turn early. two. Very I, early. I, I might have been me, actually, <laughs> somehow. Uh, yeah, no, and it, it's a good comparison to compare it to Pandemic, except that there is this background aspect of, well, it's not really... I might not want to cooperate with anyone to get my right. objective, so 
in the start of the game, it kind of feels like you should be cooperating, but we all just, like when we played, we just went our separate ways just to kind of explore the ship and find stuff. So any chance to cooperate was, it was difficult because you're just spread across the ship. You're trying to find things. And I think to be successful, you probably do need to cooperate more in that pandemic style. But then you're all spread out. Things go super wrong. And then you're also trying to sabotage each other. So it feels like aliens, though. <laughs> there is a full actual co-op mode to the game where you take out uh, the objectives. So, you know, if you wanted maybe a lightly, slightly easier, more cooperative game, you sure. could. But uh, I like that total, like, do I trust these guys or not right off the bat? That's just right up my alley. I love it. Yeah. All right. So that is Nemesis from... Uh, Awaken Realms. So, Brian, I I heard you were playing some games. What do you What do you want to tell us about? Yeah, actually, got a few at the games days in this month. Um, I guess I'm going to keep with the deep space cryo kind of theme. This game's actually called Cryo. Um, I guess it's published by Z Man Games. Uh, I played it the other day. Justin was in it. We played a four player game. It goes mm-hmm. two to four players. Um, it was actually Justin's copy, so you can probably fill in some of my gaps here because it was my <laughs> first time playing. I estimated it'd probably take about two hours, like a four-player yeah, game with experienced right. people. We were maybe a bit slower. I think Justin was the only one who had played it yeah. at that point. Um, but the idea of this one, you're a, it's like a colony ship that something goes wrong and you end up crashing on this frozen planet, and everybody's kind of competing factions, so you're kind of going against each other. And like it's a really cold planet. The idea is you're trying to kind of save your own like colony members and get them into these underground caverns before it gets too cold as like the sun is going down so i guess the i don't know style of game it's like a worker placement uh but then i think you could also call it like an engine building kind of portion of it also that was kind of the most interesting part of it to me like i've played quite a few worker placements but the kind of the engine building aspect of it um so there's all the actions you're taking on the board uh most of them are like kind of collecting resources or taking actions to kind of move your people into the caverns like scouting or um, discovering new areas in the caverns or gathering uh, scavenge parts and stuff like that but then you can also pull some of these actions back to your player board and so you're placing these drones on the board as kind of your first actions then at some point when you run out of drones or whenever you want you call them back to your kind of launch pad or whatever it calls it your player board and you can set up your other actions there so you can kind of customize something that works out however you're planning to kind of win the game here and that was really interesting to me um it was a little tricky coming into it the first time you know it's like not real sure what was gonna you know how you were gonna approach it strategy wise so i just kind of went for what seemed to be the most efficient and it was doing pretty good there's also a little more customization there's like cards you have a hand of and then you can play them in like a few different ways some are vehicles just to transport your colony members to the caverns and then you can also play them as like additional goals like objectives for scoring more points at the end and then some of them you play them and they'll be uh, like an extra kind of action or like a boost to some of your actions throughout the game and so that was pretty cool to have all the different ways to be able to play those cards and you can like scrap them at different points and stuff so you're not like locked in that way but Oh, it was a really fun game, kind of a little crunchy, and then um, I think my only critique was the ending was a little <laughs> iffy. Yeah. Um, like, there's kind of a countdown, but more or less like kind of a number of turns countdown that runs as like the, in its, the sun setting, yep. and then there's like a final, like the sun's down kind of token that comes out at the end, and the person who picks that one when it's out on the board, like that's just kind of the hard end of the game. I think 
Ben, you made the comment, like a lot of games like that, usually when somebody ends it, everybody else gets like kind of one more round kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I think this would really benefit from something like that. Like you feel a little more in control and competing where it can be really beneficial. Like it was super beneficial. Justin actually won our game and yeah, um, the, he was able to end it. The, the, one of the big ways that you're going to get points in cryo is by having area majority control over the caverns where you're trying to bring your crew members um, to get them off the sort of the icy surface. So you're bringing your, your crew members and their pods down to these caverns and you get points for having majority in a cavern. So basically just the way that timing worked out, I had the opportunity to take this sort of end the game tile at the end of my turn. And I had majorities in like caverns to the, that were good for me. So it made sense for me to like end the game at that point, which mm-hmm. Like Brian said, I think, yeah, it, and I may have to go back just to check the rules to make sure we actually played that right, but <laughs> I, I read it a couple of times. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the way that it works, but it does feel a little anticlimactic that one, that the person can just say, oh, the game's over now because I have my people in the right place <laughs> and have the majority. So, well, well, another really good game out there that's like that, that has a very similar ending mechanic is Scythe. <laughs> like it's a super popular oh, yeah. game, right? But all of a sudden somebody's got their stars, the game's over and you'll be like, Oh, I just needed that one more turn, yeah. and not that necessarily I knew it was going to end the game, but just that one more turn to do stuff. And if you're playing like right. in a six-player game aside, you're like, sorry. Yep. I just needed one <laughs> like, more turn, man. Some, I would have The person points. that was on the far side of the table, I couldn't really see 100% what they were doing because they're way away from me and not doing yeah. anything that impacts my area of the board just ended the game. Great. Yeah. you know. And, I, and I've had games where I played that, and at the end of it, everybody's like, uh, except for the winner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't like to talk about Scythe. It's like my nemesis, man. <laughs> Brian, what did you think about the the player interaction? Some of the there's a little bit of it's kind of like take that a little bit to it. A little cryo. bit. Yeah, when you guys were just talking about like watching other players and like everybody's kind of on a different track doing their own thing, but there's a little bit of like even forced player action to a extent. Like you're all competing. Like definitely the game is set up that way. You're not like cooperative at all really, but it actually makes you sabotage other people's uh, uh, whatever colony members in hyper while cryo sleep still. Like you have to destroy some of them throughout the game. So it's kind of forced that way. And um, Mm. I think you had played it like two players a few other times, but four players like the board game was a little more competitive i think as far as uh the action spots that were available and then yeah everybody's kind of on different tracks doing their own thing so that's kind of like i didn't really have a good idea of until we all kind of pointed out like hey justin would be pretty good (laughs) to like end it at one point like i didn't really know where everybody else was as far as their strategies but you're just kind of working on your own uh strategy kind of turning it out so it's kind of hard to keep track of everybody else and yeah it would have felt really good just to have that one kind of last ditch <laughs> yeah. effort uh one more turn after the game ended so yep and i will say this about the game that you guys got to play we had the good fortune of having our new show sponsor actually over right. to play the game play board games with us on game night and that is bk or brian from Misty Mountain Games. So Misty Mountain Games here in Madison, Wisconsin. If you are in the Madison area and are looking for a great place to pick up games, I can't say enough about the product that's on the shelves. He has a great selection of board games on the shelf all the time. Available. They're open seven days a week. If I'm looking for a game that's been really hard to get and everybody's sold out of it, 
if I go to Misty Mountain Games, there's good odds that BK has a copy of that game sitting on the shelf. And that's awesome. So <laughs> if you're, if like I said, if you're in the Madison area or if you're even remote, you can check them out. I think you can order online from their website and they'll ship to you. I don't know how well that works. So, uh, but uh, if you're uncertain, give them a call. If you see something that you think's in stock or you want to make sure that you can get it, you know, just shop there. It's great. Always support your local, friendly local game store. But it was awesome seeing BK here and actually playing games, you know, with him. I didn't get the chance to play with him, but uh, he got to play cryo with you guys, and I think he had a great time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he definitely enjoyed it, I think, and hopefully we'll see him back multiple times in the future. Um. That's the plan. (laughs) So, Matt, what have you been playing lately? One of the things I pulled out uh, just recently, I was uh, playing with the family, is a game that actually uh, Konzi introduced me to, I want to say it was almost a decade ago, uh, which is a game called Dominion, um, which is uh, by uh, Rio Grande Games. Uh, it, it lists the playtime about 30 minutes, which um, I'd say it's between 30 minutes and an hour. just really depends on how quickly people play. It is a deck-building game. So it's I, I, the thing I really like about deck-building games is I think they're really easy to teach. You know, everybody kind of starts on equal footing. Um, it's not like you run into some of the things with things like uh, Settlers of Catan, where there's a lot of different mechanics, and if you place in the wrong place, you're just kind of screwed. Uh, deck building games I think have a lot more flexibility with how you build them and so for people that don't really understand what I mean by a deck building game is basically there are cards you can buy there are all sorts of mechanics where the ultimate game uh, goal is you want to get the most victory points and the way you get victory points is through purchasing certain things like duchies and provinces and things like that but the the mechanics are really there are also cards on the table that you can buy that give you things like actions and extra buying power and the ability to buy, you know, better, better treasure. So you can get from copper to silver to gold and build your deck so that you keep adding cards or removing cards in a way that you basically make your make it more fluid so that you can go through more cards in a turn and you can have more buying power and things like that. So you keep building your cards by buying stuff. Um, but as it was really super easy, it was kind of neat to watch my daughter, who's uh, 14 years old, really get into the game. And, you know, she started, she seemed a little bit like, oh, my God, I don't know what's going on. But after about one or two times around, she was really into it. And by the end of the game, even though she didn't win, she just had a really good time because she had this kind of flow going in her deck that she could go through two thirds of her deck in a single round. <laughs> Uh, which was always kind of interesting to watch. She's like, I play this, and then I get two more actions, and then I get this, and I get more buying power, and she's just like flowing through cards like crazy, and she had a really good time. But um, that's, I don't know, that was just kind of one of the things I've always liked about deck building games is it's, you know, they're they're super easy to pick up, but there could be all these subtle strategies built in, so I like to think Mm -hmm. they're a little crunchier for the people that really love to come up with interesting combinations, but it's also super easy that you can just kind of get somebody engaged and moving forward on it. So, yeah, and there's so many expansions to Dominion now yeah. that you can just keep growing. And if you want a different experience, you're going to mix and match the yep. different expansions together. It works so well. And this is, we're talking about what is one of the original, really modern 
deck building games. Like That's if like you, the grandfather of deck builders, really. Just I mean. about, yeah. If, <laughs> yeah. if it's not the full bone, full blown grandpappy, it's yeah. pretty darn close to yeah. it. Like I remember, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years ago when I was first getting into board games, getting introduced to Dominion, and we, and it would get out, get out and on the table like on a regular basis. Of course, our our collections of games weren't that big, but it was popular because it was fast it was fun yep. it's still fun today even though i don't get it to the table that often but yeah it's a great game yeah were you guys playing with expansions or just base game or no just the base game and yep. since this was my family's first time really playing playing through it i kept it to the like the the they have several like the recommended cars. decks yeah. it was like this is your first playthrough you should probably play this yeah um because i want it, it does give you a nice mix of cards and that's the nice thing i like about the dominion game is they have like four maybe five decks recommended like for selections of cards that really play nicely together but they also have this mechanic where they give you um it's like a, they call it the randomizer which is basically <laughs> a a deck of basically one of each type of card and you mix them up and just deal 10 out that's the 10 you put on the table and you just you know, it just kind of depends on what you pull as to what you get. But, you know, kind of, I think it increases the replayability of the game quite a bit. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's one of the coolest aspects of Dominion, I think. Because even in that base game, there's all a bunch of combinations of cards you can play with just from what's in there. You know? Yeah, absolutely. A unique experience each time you kind of randomize, like you said. Yeah. So, yeah, Dominion's a great game, and it's, uh, who is it from? It is it's a Rio Grande game. Yep. So, Dominion's a great game, and it's from Rio Grande Games. So, definitely check it out if you haven't played it before. Hey, Suzanne, we're finally going to get to you and let you talk for a little bit. What have you been playing lately? Uh, well, you have to circle around back to Justin. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, one of the games we recently backed with Kickstarter that Conzie backed was the Winter Queen, and that came on a lovely summer Wisconsin day, or Wisconsin summer day. Uh, so we played that outside as two-player. It took about 20 to 30 minutes, which was what the box said to play. Uh, Winter Queen is published by Crow D Games, so you can find it on their website, I think, too. I yeah, I think believe so. when you looked, you can even though it was a Kickstarter, you can still order it. It's a new abstract game for us, and abstract games are a family favorite here. Uh, for my daughter, when she was very young, we would play Blackus on repeat, uh, <laughs> which was great, and we really enjoy Azul. We've moved on to that, and so having another abstract game to add to our collection was fun. Uh, ben recently did post a review on the Wisco Dice website to check out a little bit more thorough of his thoughts with it. So in this game, basically, the Winter Queen is holding a special competition for her court sorcerers. And you're going to play as one of these sorcerers, creating ornaments for her and trying to please her. Then rules for this game, I thought, need a little bit beefing up. There were a few areas where I was missing what they were actually their intention was uh, Ben caught on a little bit quicker than I did to that portion of it uh, usually if you've listened to me complain about rules it's because they have too many words in the rules and they should simplify <laughs> it uh, <laughs> even even with that the teach is fairly quick as well as the playtime. Um, the components have a really nice feel they were heavy enough to be able to play outside not have to worry about them blowing away um 
it would be great if they had an expansion at some point for it. Uh, but even as a standalone, just as the base game, it was very nice. It was not my favorite, but I'm definitely looking forward to playing it again and playing it with more uh, at a higher player count, too. Yeah, I really like that so. game. It was a lot of fun. And yes, the like, the crystals that come in the game are actually relatively large. They're, I don't know, three quarters of an inch or so instead of the tiny little crystals that you would imagine. Like, like I saw the Kickstarter. I'm like, oh, they're going to be those little tiny crystals and whatnot. And you'll be losing those things. No, they're like <laughs> big, chunk, chunky pieces of plastic. And they look really cool. And the game is very pretty. I, and I really enjoyed it. I think I think the, the rules thing might have been a little bit contributed to my teach um, because it was a first teach and I ended up reading the rules and doing the teach. I think that's a struggle point sometimes. Um, you, oftentimes when Suzanne and I learn games, oftentimes I hand Suzanne the rule book and she sits there with a the game and I go watch a YouTube video to learn how to play it <laughs> while she's playing with the components and reading the rules. And usually those games she's got, you know, she'll tell me, you know, She's got a very good grasp of how the game works and how to play the game. So this one was a kind of the opposite flow where I took the rule book and just like, here's how you play the game. So probably probably not a, the best teach either when well, it comes to the rules. I may have snuck in a read of the rules when you stepped in the house for a minute. <laughs> so Ben, I don't know what you mean. I've never run into a scenario where you just weren't perfect on the rules. Oh, that, that happens on a quasi-regular basis. Yet somehow people keep looking to me to be like the rules guy. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So anyways, that is Winter Queen from Crowd D Games. Uh, so definitely check it out. Definitely if you're looking for an abstract family game that plays with a relatively light rule set uh, but has a lot of complexity to it, it's definitely worth checking out. <laughs> anyways, let's dive into our hobby corner. And I'm going to go know, ahead. No game for oh. Huh, Justin, oh, did I skip? Whoops. Yes, totally skipping the Meeple's Champion. And I champion. even reminded you. Ah, the Meeple's oh, Champion relegated we, to the we back. We need to hear about this great game. <laughs> Just like Ben reading That we played the other night. <laughs> <laughs> so, Justin, what have you been playing? Yeah, uh, I wanted to talk about a game called Archmage or Archmage. I think I'm going to say Archmage. This is a game that came out in 2018 from Starling Games. It's uh, about 60 to 120 minutes. I think that's pretty accurate depending, you know, how slow you are at playing. Uh, but it can be played pretty quickly, uh, I think. So 120 minutes if you know the game, you know, I think that's the max you'd be hitting. It plays from one to four players. It is a very thematic area control game where each player is a mage who is attempting to gather followers, learn spells, increase their spell knowledge, and gain dominion over the land, by taking it over with with their followers. So the game is a modular board of hexagonal tiles, um, which represent the wilderness and the enclaves of the ancient mythic races like elves and dwarves and demons. Uh, there's, there's six in total. And there's also towns and camps where you can gather more followers. During the game, you're going to be exploring the board, these these hexes, and taking over area with your followers. The main part of the game is this area control where I'm expanding my, my control by placing out followers as my mage travels around the land. While I'm doing that, I'm gaining the magical relics from these areas of the land that power up spells in these six spheres of magic. You use your followers as well to train apprentices in these six magical spheres which will basically then give you spells to use on your turn 
The spells give a variety of different effects, like letting you move further on your turn, um, give you bonuses for attacking other players, um, even effects like removing an entire chunk of land, a, a tile off the board, and relocating it somewhere else. As you expand your control and gain more resources, you're trying to train up apprentices and get more and more powerful spells from the kind of basic level to advance and eventually master level spells, which have really powerful effects. Ultimately, attempting to be basically the, the most powerful mage with the strongest spells and controlling uh, majorities in each of the kind of wilderness lands out on the board. The components uh, for this game, really well designed. Uh, they have these really slick player boards with sort of this overlapping spheres of different color for these six spheres of magic. The game clock is handled by these colored planet tokens on the top of your player board, which you sort of progress towards a center space. Uh, and at the end of the game is triggered when the planets have aligned in the grand conjunction. And at that point, you basically look at who has the strongest uh, area control out on the board and who has the best spells. And that player is the archmage and wins the game. It's a really high player interaction game. So this is area control and your control over an area can change really, really quickly. So I can move around the board and leave followers behind me, but then all it takes is for another player to move into that space, spend a, a, a movement point, you essentially get five movement points on your turn. They can come into my space, kill my guy, and place theirs there instead. So there's definitely this push and pull to take over land, and it's easy for control to change hands really quickly. Again, high player interaction. There's a little bit of take that mechanics. I can cast spells that can hurt my opponents or potentially protect my guys and my land that I have. I think if I had some criticisms, it would be nice if the game had some other ways to earn points at the end. So at the end of the game, you basically get points for the spells that you've learned and then majorities that you control on the land, and that's it. So there's a lot that goes on moving around the land, attacking other players, learning spells, for the game to kind of boil down into, well, if you've got a master level spell, that's four points, uh, and if you control a majority of a particular land type, say forests, that's two points because you have the majority. So I'd like to see maybe some other areas to get points because the gameplay, I think, is really fun. It's engaging. If you enjoy the kind of play interaction, taking over people's stuff, you know, protecting your area or customizing what you can do with these different kinds of spells, I think it, it, it's a really fun game. And despite those minor flaws, very fun to play. I did play this with Ben and Suzanne at four players. What do you guys think about it? pause right here and explain something. At this point in our discussion, we had misinterpreted the end scoring rules for Archmage. Based on that, the actual rules are that at the final turn, you score points for all of your areas you control before proceeding to the next player on the final turn of the game. 
that would make a dramatic difference in how endgame scoring works and we definitely played it wrong and we're very excited to get this game back to the table and play it the correct way and see how much more fun and enjoyment we get out of this game back to the episode It was a very enjoyable game to play. I think I lost pretty badly, if I remember in there. <laughs> Though, oh, sorry, that was Ben who lost very badly. Uh, ben had gone first, and he had pointed mm. out towards the end that if you are at the beginning, if you're first or second, you're kind of uh, have a tough time gaining and maintaining your area control. Yep. So having this be my first playthrough, I hadn't realize that and so you know i lost a lot of area and probably should have been focusing more on my spells but it was definitely <laughs> enjoyable and you didn't feel bad when someone was taking over your land it's like all right they took it over i'll get my guys and take over their land later oh yeah we had a very <laughs> aggressive game i think <laughs> yeah. in four players and it was never a point like there was a point where it was like oh hey justin looks like he's doing really strong on the map Everybody ganged up and beat on Justin for a while. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it looked like Justin wasn't going to be able to do anything to be able to come back. But then a couple turns later, you were right back in it and being competitive and contesting things. So it was uh, it, that part of the game was really well designed and worked, I thought, amazingly well. And, and it helps make the game really fun and worth playing. The end game, as has been noted... When those planets align on your player board, if you're first player, well, that means everyone else has a turn to take territories. And so whoever's like in last place, particularly, you know, depending on where they're poised, but moving around the map isn't so hard. And if you uh -huh. needed like that extra, ter that one extra territory to get majority so that you score the points for it it's very it's much easier for you if you're going later in the round so if you're what the first or second player it almost makes sense from a strategy perspective to maybe focus a little more on getting spells of course you know we didn't know that being the first play through yeah so yeah i went first and guess what i had the least amount of points because hey i had all of this territory going into the final air <laughs> at, at the end of my first at the end of my turn at the end of the game and by the end of my by the time it came back and we got the scoring i had lost majority i had like majority in three different types of things on the board whatever they whatever they were and i'd yeah. lost majority in every single one by the time mm -hmm. it, by the time we got to end game scoring but the rest of the game mechanically worked really well it'd be almost interesting if they had just a different way to trigger the end game of the instead of having the planets align and then everybody gets the same number of turns yeah. so you are you thinking more and I, I apologize i can't think of the name of the game i'm thinking of the one with um you're gonna know the game i'm talking about where you you, you do it's an area control game but it's in the fantasy setting with like you have like marauding elves and and you control like the, you get stacks of creatures and then you throw them into decline Oh, oh small, small, world. small world. So small. I'm thinking like mechanic, like small world, where you earn points every turn, as opposed to just at oh, the end. Oh, that would work. That's like that. interesting. Because that was what yeah. made small world kind of interesting. Is because you could be down for a little while, and then you throw your 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 group into decline, and then you you grab a better marauding army, and then you take over a bunch of space, and then you earn a bunch of points for say 
three or four turns. So yeah. I'm wondering if like a mechanic like that might make it better because like you said, I, it does kind of suck when if you go first on the final turn, you're just watching everybody chip away at you for the whole rest of the thing yeah. unless you build a huge lead in certain areas. But That would be a really cool way to change up the game. Justin highlighted it a little bit. If there was just some extra ways to score points, yeah. like hey, maybe being the first person to get a master spell or sure. the first... Yeah the first person to get, say, three master spells or something like that, those kind of yep. goal-based objectives, I think, would really change it up quite a bit mm -hmm. and allow you to do something during the gameplay that's still something you want to do, but also gives you um, just a little more, hey, I have a little, uh, you know, a, a, a little bit better way to get some points or something yeah. else out of it. Yep, there is an expansion for Archmage, which I probably will pick up. I think that it came out maybe 2019, and it almost one of the big features of it actually is specifically an additional set of kind of objective goals that you can earn points for. So that may be the the key here. Yeah, they, they <laughs> so, may have, it, one thing I've learned they, from Starling is they typically, if there's a little flaw in a game and they release an expansion, it typically is adjusting or fixing some flaw that they had. I mean, it sounds cool. I, I, I'm interested, but I love that kind of fantasy yeah. genre with the kind of magic. It sounds cool. It, it was a great, it's very fun, great yeah. player interaction combat game yep. where you never really were. There are games, and I, I mentioned the Game of Thrones, the board game from Fantasy Flight, <laughs> I think at the, you know, when we were done playing it, where I played the Baratheons once, and I was done. I was eliminated off the table, like, at basically at the end of turn two. Like, I had, I was done. I, I went and sat and watched TV for the yeah. next three hours while my <laughs> while everybody else played out the rest of the game because you, you were just eliminated, and that just can't happen, yeah, really. No way game. to come back. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, and like you said, with this, there's a point in the game where I think I, I only controlled three spaces, three hexes anywhere on the board, uh, and but I was able to really come back from that, not, you know, a couple turns of getting some more followers and and doing a couple of things so you know the the benefit of the simple combat is it lets you re you recover from getting attacked really badly but then again it is easy to just steamroll the first player on the last round so you know yeah. no but if you like if you like this kind of game you definitely should check out archmage from um starling games yeah <laughs> that one <laughs> all right Duff. i'm doing really well here <laughs> so let's now let's go ahead and dive into our hobby corner i'll go ahead and start i just recently picked up a creality ender 3 3d printer they are i think they might even still be on sale for like a ridiculously low price for an entry-level 3d printer uh it, they're I think it was 155 US to buy it, which is like I said, it's really cheap, and it's a printer that I had been had I had my eye on for quite a while as one of the options of 3D printers I was going to purchase to get into it. When I saw that price drop, I was like, "Done, I'm buying it." So it's been kind of turned into a big learning curve of trying to get the hang of it, trying to print some things, but I think I've started to get a better feel for it. I'm still using the the slicer software that came with it. The slicer software is basically what lets you take the image files, the graphical files and then put it into it put it into a file that the printer can actually print. 
uh, used to print. And then you load them on for the Ender 3, you load it on a little SD card and you plug it in and go through the menu and tell it to print things. The biggest challenge with with it is because it's a very manual printer. There's no automation to like bed leveling. Is like that was the first big trick was trying to figure out how to level the bed and how to get trying to figure out how to get the plastic off the the printer bed. But now that I've gotten past that, I've printed. I'm starting to print uh, replacement tiles, 3D dot tiles for terraforming Mars. I've got most of those done. I just need them painted up. I've printed a bunch of chests and 3D tiles for uh, our Dungeons & Dragons game that's going to be coming up because I want to be able to, on top of the miniatures, add a little more three-dimensional effects for certain special scenarios. (laughs) And then I've been printing up some other stuff. Like I right now, we talked about in our review game last last time about the Lost Ruins of Arnok and how we were disappointed with the coins and compasses. Well, guess who found... (laughs) Uh, on Thingiverse, which is a great website for free files that you can then print, I found tokens for replacement tokens for the coins and the compasses. So I'm printing those now. You know, when they get done, I will have a whole pile of really cool painted up tokens. It'll probably look cooler than the included tokens because I'll have painted them up. But it'll be, uh, you know, it'll just add to the game. And hopefully I'll get those done before Lost Ruins hits the table again. So that'll be awesome. So. Definitely, like if you're on the edge of getting a 3D printer, I'd really recommend just going and getting yourself in one of these cheap Ender threes and getting started because I'm finding it really worth it. It's it's basically hasn't stopped for anything longer than a couple hours since I got it, and I've printed a lot with. I'm on my third spool of plastic now, <laughs> so you can get a lot of prints for you know not a lot of plastic. Well, and I I just think of like. I mean, it's definitely something I've thought about, but I just think of all the things that we do, you know, different hobbies. Like, I mean, my my head immediately goes to, gee, I'd really love to see some 3D print stuff for Settlers of Catan, which I know they've done, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but even, like, with all the different things we've done, Warhammer, uh, Star Wars, Batman, I mean, there's so many things that you could do that would just be really cool additions to see on the table and stuff like that that would be... Yeah, it's hours of time, but, I mean, what do I care? The printer can run all night for all I care. Oh, BMG, there's tons of suspect markers for various different factions with cool, like, stuff that people have done that are right up on Thingiverse. You don't even have to, like, get too creative or inventive. There are um, tons of terrain options I'm looking at for doing. I Not that I need a whole lot more terrain, but uh, there are more terrain options and certainly if I run larger BMG tournaments or and that kind of thing, having more modern terrain on, on hand is going to be really nice. And just so many options. I saw uh, today, too, I was on Facebook looking at one of the, one of the groups, and somebody's printing a drill press for their Dremel. <laughs> That's a really good idea. Huh. So, yeah, I mean, if you needed a plastic bit, uh, we got a Roomba for vacuum cleaning, even replacement bits, wheels, want to raise it up so it keeps getting stuck underneath your chair while you can – print some bits and put it on the top of your Roomba and then it'll catch and bang on the chair and not instead of getting stuck. <laughs> something we're probably going to do because that exact thing happens with a Roomba all the time. <laughs> so just, I mean, if you needed something, some plastic, but now we're playing, we're printing with whatever the biodegradable PLA, yeah, PLA plastic. So it's you know, like, you don't really want to get it wet too much or anything like that because yeah. it will break down. It's, it's the easiest plastic to work with. It's also the one that's not going to be like, hey, I'm filling my house full of fumes and nasty stuff. So 
where we have the 3D printer, we really just don't have ventilation to be able to get into printing anything, pr- printing with any plastics that would allow for more that kind of use. Like there mm-hmm. were some pots, I think Ashley for Ashley saw our, our daughter for uh, putting plants and stuff in that she was like, Ooh, I want to print. I would, I would love it if you guys could print this stuff. And we're just like, can't print it. I don't, I can't print with a uh, plastic that'll work for a plot or for a, for a planting potter and those kind of things or coasters. There were tons of cool coast, you know, coasters, you know, can't print those. And that's just the type of plastic. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to do with the printer. No, it's just the type of plastic. Mm-hmm. PLA is a lot more friendly for like human error though, like bed leveling and, and getting your prints to stick to your bed and those kind of things mm-hmm. are far less difficult with, with PLA as well. It's the most forgiving. So, but it, but there's some limitations to it. Ben is now lost for the next three to four months in 3D printing heaven. Uh, <laughs> pretty I mean, much. If, I mean, if I, I would love to get a resin printer because then I could really get into, like, you can do some miniatures with the Ender 3. And I'm going to, I will get to the point where I'm printing some miniatures with the, with the Ender 3, but it's going to be fairly well textured miniatures that you don't necessarily notice the little lines that end up happening when you mm. 3d print sure. the layer lines models with that but if you get into a, the resin printing that that's virtually gone yeah well, i will say i've seen at least the tiles that you've done for um terraforming mars and they look fantastic because it's just a really nice little like you said it, it to me it's just a nice little add-on something you can do for yourself and add something to the tabletop game so yeah, it definitely totally worth it. So I know you've been working on something. What do you What do you got uh, up your sleeve? Yeah, I've done some hobby. Um, carrying on where I was in the last episode, I'm still working on my D and D mini. Um, I did get a few days of good progress in there. Um, I've been a little distracted with house projects and stuff in the summer here. Um, I don't remember exactly where I was at last time, but I have a. I'm playing a sorcerer, so I have a sorcerer mini from Reaper Games. And our campaign's going to be in the uh, Forgotten Realms, Icewind Dale. So I winterized them a little bit. Like, it wasn't too bad already, but I just kind of took the opportunity to customize it a bit more. Um, So I did some green stuff work on it. And now I've gotten to start painting it. I have a few colors on it. Um, I'm kind of running a little low on time, so I have to kind of ramp it up in the priority level of things here. Because I think it's only a couple weeks out, and we'll have our first day of our campaign started already. So... TPK first session. That's what we're shooting for, right, guys? Oh yep. <laughs> TPK total party I, kill. By the I, way, I've got to I've got to keep my 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 streak going. You know, in any campaign, I'm the guy who goes through more characters than anybody. <laughs> well, but they I'm, always die totally in character and in some way that makes complete sense. I'm <laughs> hoping very much that we do not have a character death in the first session. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah. I, I have nothing but faith in Brian to put me in that situation. We've, we've, I went through a lot of work trying to get you guys to the point that we could even have a character for a first session. So <laughs> yeah. let's 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 try to keep him surviving for a little while. Fair enough. So Suzanne, I know you've got a hobby project to tell us about. What have you been working on? Well, I. I'm restarting a project that I stopped a couple months ago. So I have a giant skyscraper that I'm going, I'm working on putting some lights in. Uh, it's going to be for the Batman miniatures game, which is one of the two mini games that I enjoy playing. So 
I'm just been working around with what the easiest way to add some lights in with uh, my limited skills in this area. This is the first time I'm trying to add some lighting to some train. So we're just working on putting some fairy lights strung in it with some straws to block out the light and um, getting to the point then where my lovely husband will paint it up for me so that because painting is not my strong suit, which is why I have no minis that I paint. Uh, but once that is done, we should have a cool centerpiece for our some of our Batman tables. Yeah, so this thing is like this thing's uh, the skyscraper from uh, TT Combat. Actually, is the the manufacturer of the the MDF I... kit, and the thing sits like three and a half feet off the table. I think pretty it... close to it. It's it's in three large sections. Is this the one that you? I mean, I've seen you working on for a while. Sometimes during our hobby nights. And... <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. When yeah. hobby nights stopped, uh, the work on it kind of stopped because uh, my hobby space is in Ben's office, which is uh gets taken over by things during the day from time to time i i yeah. can't fathom that from ben that's that's well, such yeah. a stretch so I, th- I think i need to clean the the next the next effort on this project is me cleaning off the workspace that's now been <laughs> cluttered with various projects that no longer fit on my desk <laughs> yes i have gone up a couple times to make space to work and then that's about all the time i have and then come back again and need to make so space this to sounds work. like a project where we as- where we actually build a non-invadable space for Suzanne to do her hobbies. <laughs> or we just need to figure out which room of the house Suzanne's going to take over. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's uh that got taken over by my work computer. Yeah. <laughs> so yay, working from home. But yeah, that's going to be really awesome when it gets finished. I'm I'm looking forward to getting that and hopefully having our first piece of terrain that has lights that light up will not be our last. No, it's been a lot of fun figuring this out. So, so there are many more to come. Hopefully, at some point, Suzanne will tell us and give us some tips on how you can light up your own terrain oh. on our website at wiscodice.com. Uh, I'm, I, the geek in me is like, are you going Arduino or are you going to go like full bore? Uh, um, oh, my God. I lost it. I was going to say like oh. Raspberry Pi, that sucker. or. <laughs> No, oh, I don't think we're getting that complicated some, yet. Something simpler that you that is mobile, so you can take it places with you, and not and the and uh, the power source is self-contained. Oh, we can do that with a Raspberry Pi. Just so we're clear, so there's no no mistaking. No, that's not something I enjoy. I just you know I had I know tons of people that would my brother would be giving me all sorts of grief about why we weren't linking all the lights <laughs> on the table to a raspberry pi and programming it but. well that's actually gotten relatively easy not to get off it, it has yeah. Yeah. With yeah. programmable leds and a lot of software that's come out now you can yeah. you can pretty easily do that and do it on a relative cheap so yeah get a bunch of it geeky people at the table <laughs> and we're gonna be doing some crazy stuff with these things <laughs> all right so matt or justin do you guys have anything you wanted to tell us about uh, for me, it's literally been the honey-do list, and uh, my daughter has been graduating from college, or high school, sorry, not college. <laughs> my daughter's been graduating from high school, so that's been sucking up all my free time as <laughs> we were prepping for numerous people to come to the house. So uh, a lot of projects got shelved for the last month, but I do, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as uh, Stark here that I need to really uh, get my button gear and get some paint on some models <laughs> before <laughs> the first play session, so... 
I probably have some more update on my uh, minis that I've been working on here for the next month. So we're gonna have like I've got all of these painted D and D models, and you guys are all gonna show up at Prime Figures. It'll be great. Yes. <laughs> That's if my that, goal. I'm better than like, better. If, if I weren't we, feeling guilty and disappointed, it wouldn't be the right day of the week. Uh-huh. <laughs> be like, we all had. I I painted. I don't know. I think I'm at like forty or fifty figures now for this thing. Good you guys Lord. have one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did get some new paints, some new Reaper paints, just to get colors, certain colors I wanted for my miniature for D&D. I'm playing a half-orc paladin, uh, so I have a Reaper minifig, mini, uh, minifig? Uh, Reaper miniature for that. Um, regretfully, he has not been started, uh, but I've been sort of watching some more videos on techniques and just, you know, skills and stuff so that I can do a good job on the thing. I guess I could always paint a second one if I mess this one up too bad. Yeah, well, or, I mean, if it, or you can of... kill him off and then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, why, why <laughs> worry about why worry about getting? That's going to kill him off anyway, so I shouldn't do a good job painting him. Yeah. Well, I, I I think one of the things that I I really took away, Justin, and and I started painting a long time ago, and and every once in a while I still have a couple minis around from that first army I worked on, mm-hmm. and I will tell you. Um, it's an evolution. It's something that I don't feel like you're ever born being just phenomenal at it. And some of the best people I know, I mean, they just, they've thrown out probably more minis than I care uh. to admit that I've ever painted. And it, you do, it's just something you learn over time. And I, that's one of the things I think that's really cool is I think back to when Ben, Ben and, and Stark and I started and um, like, there weren't like detailed, like, this is how you do this cool effect. Mm. on youtube i mean that just wasn't a thing i mean you were you YouTube were stuck with the people you knew <laughs> and it might if, not have been a youtube then uh <laughs> yeah youtube was around i think maybe not don't oh, figure no, out the probably dates not. Stuff. but i mean the, <laughs> the cool the thing about it i think now is like you're like god i really struggle with blacks there's like 50 different techniques on youtube for how to paint black and mm. you can like look it all up and and practice it on some stuff and then find the one that works for you because, I mean, I don't know. I always thought it was mind-blowing because we'd meet all these really good painters in Wisconsin and and over the years. And some of them would do techniques that I just couldn't wrap my head around. But then another one would show me something. I'm like, it's that simple? And suddenly my painting would, like, launch to a whole new level. And that was just kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, and the products weren't there either. No. Uh, you know, you had... I mean, Reaper paints were still there, but it was hard to get your hands on them because online ordering wasn't really a thing. Hmm. And so you were kind of stuck with, you know, there was no Vallejo, there was no Game Color, there was no any of these other brands of paints. You had Citadel paints and Citadel paints and pretty much Citadel paints. And then that was that was what you had. So you went to the game store, you bought... Games Workshop, Citadel Paints, and half the time the stuff dried out or was dr- half dried out by the oh, time yeah. you even opened it the first time <laughs> or was dried out when you went to go use it. And then you had inks. You didn't have washes. You had inks. And there was no idea of how to do a wash. And there really wasn't anything that you – there wasn't really good instructions on how you use inks. And so if you weren't familiar with watercolors and, and those kind of products, it was a challenge to use. Yeah, so, Anyways – we should probably take a break here. We've been rambling for I think an hour now, really? and when oh, we like get that. back, uh, you're going to check out. We're going to check out the interview I did with 
people who uh, made Distilled, the board game, and it's going to be coming on Kickstarter. It'll be on Kickstarter when this episode releases, so make sure you get your wallets out and back that game because <laughs> it's going to be awesome. And uh, then we will wrap that up with our final topic of the day. All right, and we are back. Just myself here right now, but I've also been joined by Dave, who's uh, going to uh, introduce himself and let you know all about uh, a new game that's coming to Kickstarter soon. Dave, why don't you go ahead and give our listeners an int- an, a quick introduction and tell them who you are. Great. Thanks, Konzi. Thanks for having me here. Uh, yeah, my name is Dave Beck. Uh, I'm hailing from uh, further north and west in the state. Uh, so I'm in Menominee, Wisconsin. Uh, and I'm actually a game design professor at the University of Wisconsin Stout. But why I'm here uh, today and really excited to to join you is to talk about Distilled. Uh, Distilled is a game I've been working on over the last couple of years, and I actually came up with the idea when I was in Scotland. Uh, and it's all about uh, the idea of uh, distilling different types of alcoholic spirits, so like whiskey and vodka and gin. So yeah, it's been it's been a long time coming, and I'm so excited to finally talk about it and share it with others too. Been following you on social media, and I can tell you that it's been getting me excited, and it's one of the reasons we're doing this because the game looks like it's great. Uh, there's cool. another great game that I I like that is in the spirits world, but it's more on the beer side with brew crafters. Love that game, mm-hmm. and so when I saw this, I'm like, oh, this is a perfect complement to mm-hmm. one of my other passions, which is probably drinking a little too much to, <laughs> to go along with my gaming. So uh, it's going to be the perfect combination. So, what's the game experience like? What are people? What can people really expect to get out of Distilled? Yeah. So, good question. Really, what it comes down to is, and this is what I hear from a lot of people as far as feedback, is it's extremely thematic. And so my hope is that when people play this, they're going to get a peek into the world of distilling and that process behind it, not only the the kind of recipe side and how to create it and craft it, but also the business side. So there's going to be a little bit of uh, resource management. There's going to be a little bit of push your luck, or I like to say mitigate your luck. Uh, there's a market, so you're going to be purchasing things and acquiring goods. There's an economy having to deal with as well as far as um, uh, money and fluctuation of what's available to sell. So yeah, overall, a, a Euro medium weight style game with mainly focusing on things like recipe fulfillment, resource management, and a little bit of push your luck. That sounds pretty awesome. All good quality game mechanics that we love to see in games we're playing. So mm-hmm. that sounds exciting. So what really inspired you to, to create this game? What's the driving force here? Yeah, yeah. So as I had mentioned I, uh, earlier, I was in Scotland. And this is actually connected to my uh, job. So as a professor, I'm lucky enough every so often to um, uh, get what's called the sabbatical. I apply for it and I'm awarded that. And it's an opportunity for me to spend uh, a little bit of time doing some research. So I was in Scott, I applied to say, I'm going to go to Scotland for my sabbatical. Will you please give it to me? The university did, which is wonderful. I had to get my way to Scotland, obviously on my own. But once I was there, I had plans to do something with video games and technically augmented reality and virtual reality, because that's really my area is 3D modeling, animation, games, game design. And I was working on some interesting uh, uh, recreations of historical artifacts over there using augmented reality and virtual reality. 
But then I, I had been, I had been touring so many whiskey distilleries and actually having enough drams of whiskey as well that and playing games, board games. I brought an entire uh, very large suitcase full of games over there too because I knew it was going to be a long semester. And one night I couldn't sleep, and this game just dawned on me. Uh, this idea of certain mechanics that I could incorporate into the game that are very connected to the actual process behind distilling alcohol, which is kind of a unique thing. And so I, I, I got up, I started writing notes. Uh, I spent most of the night paper after paper, scribble after scribble. Uh, and probably by around six or seven in the morning, I had a game that was called distilled. I decided then it would be called distilled. And really, at that point, it was focused more on deck building, but still this idea of a card-based game. At first, it was about whiskey, uh, and specifically Scotch whiskey and other whiskeys around the world. But then I re- started to discover all the different types of uh, all the different types of um, spirits from all around the world that people had never heard of, like myself too. So that's what's really driven me to realize a game like this doesn't exist yet. Not only because there's not one about distilling, like you said, there's some great ones about beer, there's some great ones about wine, um, but there's none about distilling alcohol. That is a medium weight strategy game. And it was my opportunity to be able to teach people about other spirits around the world and cultures too. Uh, so that's what I've done. And I uh, can't believe I'm, I'm almost to the point now where uh, hopefully this is going to become a reality. Sounds very cool. And there's a lot there that sounds like it makes you really excited about this game, but what, <laughs> what what's really, is there any one bit of this that that's makes you more excited about this game than say other games that you've played or, or worked on? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Conzie. Um, I think it's, it's this culmination of, uh, my background as an artist and, uh, also having a, a degree in history an undergraduate degree in history. And my passion for games, board games, and my passion for whiskey, uh, just something I've always loved. All of those things are coming together here. And, and that maybe this is the best part of all, is I've got an amazing team I'm working with too. It's a small team, but uh, it started with just myself and my good friend, who's also a colleague at the university, Eric Evanson. Uh, he's an artist and illustrator, and he's really bringing this game to life and in a really visually rich way that I just am so excited about. So I, I think that's really it, what it comes down to is this cool intersection of authenticity mixed with theme, mixed with mechanics, mixed with fun. And uh, I hope that's the kind of the same type of experience other people will have. Cause that's, that's really what's been getting to me the most excited about this. Yeah. And you've talked a lot about the art of this game mm-hmm. uh, and from what we've been able to see it great and really seems to capture at least in my mind what the feel for this game should be how did you guys approach the artistic design to this game oh man you 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 ask all the good questions this is great and i wish eric were here eric couldn't be here tonight um but uh i wish wish he were here to be able to speak to this so i'm going to try and do him justice here but eric has a certain style like most artists do uh that they can they are most comfortable with and maybe known for so Eric's got a background, well, here, before I get to that, but of course, artists can also emulate other styles if they have to. And that was a part, that was a conversation Eric and I had early on, you know, do we want this to be hyper-realistic uh, in all all manners? So think like Brass Birmingham or Brass Lancashire. Because um, uh, I did, I told him like, I want this to be dark and gold and wood and, you know, whiskey-like. And I basically said like Brass, like Brass Birmingham. 
and Eric helped me understand that that's fine, but depending on the audience that you want to speak to, you need to think about other things too, like characters and character design. And, you know, is this a serious dark, not dark, but a serious heavy game like brass maybe would be considered, or is this something you want friends around the table to be just enjoying having drinks, sharing their, what they made, you know, that type of thing. And I realized that's what I want. Is something that's a medium level game, maybe almost medium to light, like if you were right on the edge of the two. So with that, we realized Eric's artwork is great. He can illustrate anything. He's fantastic. But when he does people, he has a certain style, and we wanted to strive for that in this so that it would give this feeling of kind of like a fictional world, a fun uh, approach to it, not necessarily kind of like dark and dreary, gritty, humans all the pores on the person's face are, are revealed so that's that's kind of where we landed on that and how we came to it is realizing we should take advantage of eric's skills in illustration but then also in how he creates the characters and how he gets to design them so every character in the ga- game is designed by eric you play as a as you inherit the distillery from someone uh and at the very beginning of the game you get two cards from from a group of about 10 or 12 and they're different characters that you've inherited this distillery from. And you get to choose who you basically inherit it from. But Eric's not only done these cool illustrations of these people as if they were a painted portrait, but then if you flip the card over, he's written an entire backstory on them as well. Uh, he's a ba- He has a background in graphic design or graphic novels and comics. So he he's really kind of brought some of that into the fold too to make it, again, Fun, funny, interesting, unique, and and actually fairly historically accurate, even if it is historical fiction. Well, I'm going to say that sounds pretty awesome, and it's great to tie that personality right into the art as well. So I'm I'm really excited to see what that's going to feel like and look like on the table. Yeah. What makes Distilled really unique and stand out from other games that deal with brewing or crafting, various alcoholic beverages? Vinos, those kind of games. Um, What really makes this one jump out? Why do people want to play this over those others? Oh, totally. Yeah, good question. I'd say three three things. The first is is the first game in that exists about spirits. So, like I mentioned before, uh, and you mentioned too, I love brew crafters. Like it's a fun game. It's a fun worker placement game. You've got some recipe fulfillment too. Um, You're running your own brewery. And then you've got something like Viticulture. Again, a a phenomenal game, in my opinion. I love Viticulture. Uh, Another fun worker placement game. What I've found is, A, that there's no spirit-based ones dealing with hard alcohol. It's a completely different process. Um, But also, most of those games are worker placement, probably because you're trying to emulate the industry. And so you're trying to, obviously, assign your workers to different tasks on the board, on the table. Um, to get the job done. And I totally get that. And I, I did think for a, a hot second about maybe having to still be a worker placement game, but I realized it had to be different. So it's almost entire, what well, is entirely card-based. Um, yes, you've got some boards, you've got a player board in front of you, you've got some boards in the middle of the table, some kind of, but they really serve the purpose to just hold cards. It's when it comes down to it, the root of it is a card game. And so that's the final thing to say that it would be distinctive is that the 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 central mechanic of distilled tries to emulate what you how you would really distill alcohol in real life. So a quick a quick education on that. If I wanted to make a whiskey, I need three ingredients. I need water, I need yeast, 
and I need some sort of grain. If I'm in Scotland, I need barley. If I'm in America, I might want to use bourbon or uh, corn for bourbon. If I'm in Canada, I might want to use rye and so on and so forth. I need grain. So in distilled, you have to have one of each, at least one of each of those ingredients. And you're dumping them into this big vat on the left-hand side of your player board, represented kind of looking like a big wooden tub. And you add, and those are there, and then you are actually going to add alcohol because what you're doing is the presence of yeast is, is what creates alcohol because it eats the sugars in your batch, in this case, grain. So in distilled, you count the number of grain cards you have, in this case, for whiskey, in your, in your stack, and you add that many alcohol cards. So you're essentially kind of growing your deck a little bit more. You mix all those together. It's fermented now. There's alcohol in this batch as well. And it's time to uh, distill it. When you distill alcohol, and again, this is in real life, the first part of the liquid that comes off of the still, off of what's boiling it, and the last part at the end of the run are actually toxic. They uh, have chemicals in, the, in them that would blind you or kill, even kill you. They're, they're, they're highly poisonous. Distillers know this, so of course they make what's called a cut. Uh, and they cut at the beginning and the, and the end called the head and the tail. And they leave the heart, which is the center. And that's what you drink. Well, that head and tail is still reused. They actually set it aside and they reuse it again in the next batch. And so what I realized is I could have a really interesting mechanic where you're adding all your cards, you're mixing them up, you're getting some alcohol. You then are required to take, after you've shuffled them, you take the top card and the bottom card and you pull them off your stack and you put them back into your pantry to reuse it future round. The problem there is that if you've pulled certain ingredients that make whiskey whiskey, and in this case grains, you have gone from making a whiskey to potentially a moonshine in this game. So that's kind of the central hook and the central core mechanic of the game is there's some push your luck. But the deal is if you add more ingredients or you have different people working in your distillery that you've hired or equipment, you can mitigate that luck or actually remove it entirely. So it's this balance of trying to encourage the player to think about whether they thread the needle with just a bare minimum or they are sure they're going to win by, you know, having enough materials and equipment as well. So that's kind of the, that was a long answer, sorry, but that was, that's kind of the, the main central hook to the game and why I think it, it makes it unique. Hey, that was a perfect answer, actually. I think I was, as I was listening to you describe the game and the mechanics, the more and more I'm ready to get my wallet out and back this <laughs> Kickstarter. So I'm, I'm very excited to, to be a backer soon. Good, good. We're recording this a little bit before it's actually uh, released uh, to the general public. But mm -hmm. uh, the plan here is to release this episode uh, as your Kickstarter releases, which lends me to my next question, which is, uh, as we're listening to this and you're and people are getting as excited, hopefully as I am about this game, <laughs> when they go to your Kickstarter page, what are they going to be able to uh, see? Are there uh, big exclusives or are there some forms of early bird specials? What's what is what do you have built in that you can tell us about about this Kickstarter when it comes? Sure, out? yeah, I can tell you a little bit. I can't tell you too much because it's still somewhat top secret. But I, you'll be the first people I'm I'm telling some of this stuff to. So. I decided that I've backed, I don't know, probably 60 Kickstarters. Um, I'm a big fan of Kickstarter in the space. And I appreciate the exclusive, Kickstarter exclusive, like other people do. But um, after doing lots of reading and lots of thinking and listening and research, I realized that I don't think I necessarily want to do something exclusive to just Kickstarter. I want this to be something that that people that might not have heard about it, that find out about later, that become really passionate can find a way to obtain some of this too. So I'm not going to do any Kickstarter exclusives. With that said, 
We are going to be doing a couple things that are going to be hard to get otherwise, and also in certain cases free or heavily discounted for the backers. One of those that I'm really excited about is that if we are able to fund within the first 24 hours, then we are going to be giving every single backer a 14 card mini expansion pack for free. And in that mini expansion pack, it's going to have multiple different dis new distiller identities from around the world. So uh, we've got someone from uh, Northern Africa. We've got someone from uh, Germany. We've got someone from, uh, excuse me, Russia, someone from uh, over, over in the Americas as well. Uh, so again, we've got some new exciting uh, elements that would only be there for free for the backers if we do it in the first 24 hours. So we're excited about that. In addition to the base, the main game, we're also going to be, we're not going to be doing a deluxe version necessarily, but we are going to be doing things that would be the opportunity to kind of deluxify it. So we're going to be offering the opportunity for metal coins. We're going to have an extra additional small expansion uh, that people can get as well. Uh, we're looking at including some coasters for people to have in their game uh, with their game so that they can, they can put their drink on it. So those are some of the things that we're looking at to be Things that are going to be a little harder to obtain, honestly, after the Kickstarter, just because I don't know yet how retail this is game is going to be. Um, uh, with this being an independent release from an independent indie uh, game developer and publishing studio, we don't know yet how prolific Distill will be in the world. So this is really a, might be the only chance. Hopefully not. Hopefully it does really well. Uh, but for some of these things, I think that would be the time for them to jump on and get those both at a discount. Uh, but also because they are, they are going to be a little harder to obtain later. Well, I'll have to make sure my friends here at Noble Knight Games and Misty Mountain Games here in Madison know about this Kickstarter, so totally. they can know about this game, so that when it comes time to think about getting it on their shelves, that they're really seriously considering it and, and reach out and to try to make sure that they stock it at the very least. Totally, and uh, I will, I forgot to mention, I will have a retail pledge, so that's always great for retailers where they're going to be able to to get it at a discounted price when they buy in bulk. So that'll be an opportunity as well. Perfect. So I think that gets me to through all of the questions that I plan to ask tonight. Is there anything else that uh, you want to say about this game that I haven't asked about up to this point? I don't think so. I mean, we're, we're very fortunate to be able to have, been considered as finalists for multiple awards for this game already. There's we were finalists in the Ion competition and we're a finalist currently in the Cardboard Edison Award. So we're really excited about that. I'm just absolutely thrilled to have the team I'm working with. Uh, a few of them are from Stout. So we've got two other individuals, Cody Reimer and Seth Barrier, that are also helping that are Stout professors. So it's kind of like this super super professor team that's working on the game. But then I've also got some people overseas. So I'm working with uh, really closely and a good friend of mine now uh, named Richard Woods, who's a developer who's over in the UK. So he's working on the development of the game, play testing, balancing. And then David Digby uh, actually designed the solo mode for Distilled and it's getting uh, being received very well uh, also. And he's he's done some really great designs for larger games like Dice Theme Park, Tinner's Trail, uh, Chocolate Factory. So I'm excited to, I've been excited to have them on board too. So it's shaping up to be a, a, a pretty great team, not only just Wisconsin, uh, but also from around the world, which is pretty cool. So I guess those are just a couple other things to, to mention as well. Well, that sounds perfect. So 
you'll be able to find the link to this Kickstarter in our show notes. So that if you need to, or you feel it, I, well, I shouldn't say if you need to, you will need to, after you listen to this, be so excited. You will want to go back this game, That's right? <laughs> catch the, catch the link in our show notes, hop right over to Kickstarter or look for it on our Kickstart Monday series of blog posts as well. We will definitely be uh, very, very excited about this game. We want you to back it. It looks amazing. I love the art. I love how this game is coming together. And it's backing a game that this is what Kickstarter is really about, which is mm-hmm. m- helping make someone's dream become a reality and not be a pre-order system. Totally. That's exactly right. Yep. So get out there, back distilled, do it today, do it for Whisker Dice and do it for these guys. Cause I'm telling you, this game is going to be great. I really, really <laughs> have that feeling. Thanks, Cozy. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us, Dave. I really appreciate hearing all about distilled. We wish you the best of luck with this Kickstarter and hope nothing but the best to really like, like I said, I think this game is going to really excite a lot of people that uh, didn't otherwise realize, uh, you know, that they were missing a game like this in their collections. Cool. Thanks, Conzie, so much. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right. And when we come back, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. And we're back. And we're going to go ahead and dive into what some techniques and tricks into staying cool at the gaming table. Because we've all played that game that we just weren't into it, or something went sideways, or we just stunk it up terribly and we're losing awful. And when those things happen, when you're at the gaming table and you're playing a game that's like that, it can be really frustrating. It can really be easy to turn into the person who's watching their phone, because I never do that while I'm playing a game, or completely distracted or constantly complaining or telling people how miserable this game is or how broken this game is or how something should just never have been designed that way. (laughs) And we've all experienced that from playing and some of us have probably even done those some of those things so we're going to try to talk about things that you can do that help kind of get you past that so justin i think you were going to lead this off for us sure yeah uh so i i guess my first thing with this is you got to keep in mind why you're at the table in the first place and I think for most people and for me, I I need, you know, when I get frustrated, I need to remind myself that I'm here to play with other people and have fun. While it is fun to win games, that's not really the reason that I'm sitting down and playing a game. I'm I'm here to play with other people and have a good time. Uh, So I think it's important to keep in your head when you're when you're starting to go to that that frustrated place where you're having having problems or the game's not for you there's other people there too and they might be having an awesome time right they could be doing really really well and i guess maybe it's a long way of saying the game's not all about you uh there's you know however many other people playing and uh part of uh the i guess social contract social contract that you've kind of bought into when you sit down and play with other people is that you have some responsibility for their experience as well so you know 
you gotta you gotta uh, realize that they're there to have fun too, and you don't want to be that person to just make it all about yourself and bring the game down because you're having a bad time. Somebody else may be having the best time, uh, and it could have just been bad luck or something. Uh, I'm doing bad. I didn't make the right moves. I didn't understand the game. You know that happens. Be conscious of other people. They're having fun too, or they want to have fun. So keep that as, I think that should be the first goal when you're playing a game with other people. Yeah. I was watching a YouTube video the other day about how to be a better dungeon master. We all, we've all talked about, we keep talking about this D and D game, this Dungeons and Dragons game that we have coming up where I'm taking the seat behind the screen and being the dungeon master. And they talked, one of the first things he talked about was the first thing you need to do is really believe that you're there to have fun, that you are going to have fun. (laughs) Once you're at that point at the table, like once you're to that point, like, Hey, I'm having fun. It doesn't matter. Like I'm having fun. It doesn't matter if my dragon rolls a bunch of ones and they steam and the players steamroll it. I'm having fun. I'm playing a game. And once you get to that point, then you can enter this second level of immersion and getting into the game and helping ensure that the other people at the table are also having fun. And when you can hit that perfect medley of having fun yourself and helping the other players have fun at the table, Mm -hmm. that's like a special moment, at least in my mind. And there are definitely games that maybe the game itself wasn't that great, but that moment where everybody's at the table is having fun and everybody else is kind of helping everybody else have fun at the same time yeah, makes the game really, really a ton of fun to play. So, Brian, I think you were going to dive in and tell us some things. Yeah, my kind of main idea when uh, I was thinking about this uh, is kind of in line with that, and it kind of almost comes before you start even playing the game is just kind of like a mental awareness. Kind of the same idea, like you're there to play to have fun, like... I know my biggest problem when I get like frustrated in a game is just like getting too competitive. And so if I'm losing, I get like really frustrated kind of thing or something like that. And it can probably come off like even like negative towards my opponent or stuff. And it's usually, I'm just like really mad at myself. Like, why am I such an idiot and can't play better kind of thing like that. And all of it's just like a mental thing. Like I know I've had games, I can lose terribly exactly the same way, but like, my expression or how I'm feeling about it can be like completely different. Like I can roll a handful of ones or something and laugh at it one game, but then other times I'll curse a bunch or something like that, <laughs> which never happens when I'm at the game table. Um, never. <laughs> and it's all, I think it's all just based on kind of my mindset going into the game. Like I really just want to have, have fun and stuff, but sometimes I get really ca- caught up in my competitiveness and when it's not going my way or whatever. And, it really varies by the game too. Like if I'm in my first uh, play of a board game or something like that, I usually have a lot easier time letting go. It's like, I'm just going to try and figure out. I know I get hung up and Ben shaking his head at me. For those yeah. Yeah. There's a... I know I get hung up and figuring out like the strategy of it kind of thing. I'm a very like slow player and want to like plan everything out. So it's hard to get over that sometimes, but I guess how I feel I can usually like let it go if I'm not like winning kind of thing but I know I'm still slow and like trying to win kind of thing but like in a first play it's like I'm gonna learn and figure this out like other people probably have like you know set strategies that are gonna whoop my like whatever I'm thinking of in a first (laughs) my my random whatever I says this and then turns around and wins and the whole time grumbling 
bite, but he Sometimes. doesn't quite understand the mechanic of this or that. <laughs> Not always. I, I give him a lot of credit. He he deconstructs how to win games much faster than I do because I'll still be frustrated. Well, that's why I'm so slow as I'm like sitting there constantly churning like how everything fits together and I'm trying to plan mm-hmm. out like my next five moves or something like that. And then somebody else will change the game and then it's like, okay, now I got to replan my next five moves kind of thing <laughs> on their turn. You mean there are other people like, at the table? Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. So <laughs> like, I know I have those games and then like, I feel like I have a harder time with not getting frustrated in like our miniature tabletop wargaming things. Like a lot of those are just like directly competitive and hmm. it's really easy to kind of get down and out in those to, to your point, though, and, and I, I, I go to something Ben and I ran into quite a bit at tournaments back in our Warhammer days, which is I will say in tournaments, there are some players that are just a joy to play against. I've had people wipe the floor with me, and I just had a really good time mm-hmm. the entire game while they literally just rolled my army off the table. So I, I think there's a bit of that social contract that we were talking about is regardless of whether I think it's a board game or you're winning or you're losing is I think there's that kind of social contract because I will say there were armies that I played in the Warhammer days <coughs> slayers um, where uh, I really loved the army and I loved playing the army thematically but there came a point where I just stopped playing the army as much as I loved it because it just wasn't fun for anybody else at the table. Hmm. Um, and and it and I never quite mastered. I, I think Ben, you had a few players like this, where you'd run into them in the tournament, and even though from the second they set their army down, you knew they were just going to blast everything you had off the table. That they were just really fun people to be at the table with, and that was something that I think. I still aspire to, but I don't feel like I've made it there yet um, because I, I have the same streak that Brian does where I'm not usually mad at the other person. I mean, there are a few times where I feel like I think I need to remember more of what Justin was talking about, which is we're here to have a fun game. And oh, by the way, um, occasionally my goal is to win that thing, which means I'm going to screw you occasionally in the game. Yeah. So. I mean, don't take it personal, right? But, um, you know, there are times that I'm just so more, much more frustrated at myself because I feel like I've played this game a couple of times. I should know a strategy by now. <laughs> we just play such a variety of games, it's hard for me to keep all the strategies straight. And so, you know, most times if I'm getting frustrated and I feel like I'm taking it out on the table, it's more frustration with myself and less at the people I'm playing with. But it's hard. I, I feel like my strategy sometimes is you just got to take a breath and be like, remember the social contract. <laughs> I'm here to have a good time. And I'm having a bit of a frustration. I, I mean, I can't count the number of times I've sat down at the table and been really frustrated and came in first or second. And, I, and I'm sitting there going, I don't know how I got here. I was kind of an ass on the way here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, See, for me... When I get frustrated with the game, I just want the game to be over. Hmm. So one of the techniques I use, like when we play on Mars and it's drawing out and there's no way that I'm going to win is I just say, well, I'm going to change my strategy and I'm just going to push up all of 
the areas that trigger endgame. What is going to trigger endgame? And that's what I'm going to work towards. I don't care if I'm scoring points. I don't care if I'm screwing someone else over. This is what I'm doing. And that um, kind of mental shift that I'm now changing my own personal objective from getting the most points to how fast can I push up these other areas uh, definitely helps uh, with a lot of the miniatures games, especially with Star Wars Armada. If I'm just dying and losing ships left and right, well, since I pick a ship that I usually don't destroy and I just focus all my energy on, hey, how quickly can I destroy this ship? And how quickly can I destroy that ship? And just go very attacky and don't really worry about the rest of the strategy if I make my objectives. Just kind of turn it that way. And it's a new fun way for me to fight and play the game until it's over oh yeah you pointed out something that i've done in miniatures games is when you have the table completely start out poorly and i think you could apply this to board games as well but you're in the game and and just nothing is working right you're two or three rounds in you're you definitely have a you're definitely going towards that massacre loss you know you know all all hope is gone of turning this thing into a victory. You find that point in the game where you do something that just focus in on, hey, can I destroy that ship? Or can, you know, get that little moral victory? Because that little moral victory still gives you something to work towards and keeps oh, yeah. you kind of motivated and energetic and, and excited about what's going on in the game rather than getting uh, letting the frustration continue to seep in because it's not going right yeah, sure, I'm losing all my squadrons over here, and I just lost another Star Destroyer. But over here, I'm knocking out... Hey, I, I got that little Nebulon B over here, I can, I, and I'm destroying and I'm destroying uh, a couple of squadrons over here. I was able to actually do that, and I was able to... Yeah, I just kind of gave up on this part of the game, but I, I had this one little bit that went my way, and I was able to build off of that. And then I'm, I'm walking away from the game the next time you play... You're walking away going, okay, well, I, I still got some enjoyment out of that. And I was able to still be excited about that. Uh, Warhammer days, it was like, I, I remember playing against a gentleman at a tournament. I think it was our first round of the tournament. And he's playing Lizardmen and I'm playing my Night Goblins, which were, I had a propensity to playing armies that weren't very good at the game <laughs> at whatever time, time cycle the game was. And I think that was because I was more more worried about ensuring that with new players that were getting introduced to the game that I didn't play an army that was specifically curb stompy. Mm-hmm. So I never really, you know, my collections of models and what I was playing at a given time weren't the greatest anyways. So I hear I'm dropping my 250 miniatures on the table against his, I don't know, probably 70 miniature army. You know, there's that initial off factor, but I'm losing the game and it's like the last turn of the game. And, and I, cast uh whatever the bad bad moon rises spell or whatever and dropped it through a unit of you know this five inch round template went through like a unit of saurus and the game went from like a, a massacre loss in in his favor where i was getting massacred to like a minor victory because he you know those saurus infantry were like initiative one and you have to roll a d6 and if you roll anything greater than a one then the dudes die so like I just decimated this huge swath of Saurus and all of a sudden like, Hey, I scored a bunch of victory points from that. And that 
pulled the you know changed the game and to this day i think mike uh, remembers that moment we when we get together we might mention that game because it was that memorable moment and it wasn't a game that yeah otherwise was going very badly but because there was that like hey one thing I was trying to get and I was that one thing I was still trying to shoot for like I'm like if I just hang in your just hang in your guys just hang in your little goblins just hold one more round and I might be able to get a magic <laughs> phase to do this and bam it happened and it was exciting and and we were both high-fiving at the table, and it could have went a completely different way. And I know I've had games that have went that way Oh yeah, um, where it was just miserable. Our last game of BMG, Brian and I played, I think went that way, right? It was just... Yeah, sorry about that. It was just... <laughs> I mean, my, my Joker crew was just kicking your teeth in, and there was so little you could do. And so it was really easy to get frustrated, right? And at that point, once you're frustrated, if you let that frustration build, it will continue to build and so i've rambled yeah. for a while but basically what i'm trying to say is you try to try to find something you can make out of it even if you know you're going to lose and then that gives you something to to refocus on and re re-energize on yeah i think breaking down to those kind of minor small victories even though you might not get the overall victory or a goal yeah. just to end the game sooner is something i don't do very well that i should really focus more on in those games that are going down well and I, I just like that from the perspective too is that some of the i mean some of the games we play let's be honest are a little bit crunchier so there's a lot of interesting complex strategies around i mean th that's always the hard part for me to remember is i'm playing against people like um that have probably played this you know a dozen times and they've seen some interesting strategies and i'm probably on my third playthrough if that and I, I should not beat myself up and be like, you know what, today I'm going to learn how to do this. <laughs> and tomorrow I'm going to learn how to do that. And by the time I maybe get to my fourth or fifth playthrough, maybe I'll be a little more competitive and, you know, just kind of roll with the punches a little bit more just because that's always my struggle is, like I said, it's just that more competitive streak. And the funny thing is, is my goal is never to win. My goal is to give you a good run for your money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just <laughs> you know, being, like, it, it's like I'm not like... You know, for anybody who knows me from my Warhammer days, I mean, I played dwarves, so the the idea of me curb stomping you was never going to be a thing <laughs> until uh, Slayers rolled around. But uh, you know, you know, I always felt like against, except for a few like special armies, I could give people a run for their money, and I'd be in the game the whole time. Um, I mean, you always had a bad game; your dice didn't show up, and y you learned to laugh at those, but. I mean, that's kind of the same thing with board games is I, I, I struggle with that because I always want to feel like I'm at least I at least showed up to the table and I didn't just like, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm just yeah. the guy sitting in seat number four. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, you know him. You can just ignore him because he's not going to do anything of consequence. Yeah. So I, I like this idea, too, because what it does is it puts your focus back into the game. Right. Uh, I think there's a trap you can fall into where, where you're getting frustrated and you just want to check out of the game. Uh, and I think that just makes you more frustrated because if you stop putting effort into taking your turns, other people pick up on that, that starts bringing the game down and it's only going to make you feel more frustrated because, you know, you're not going to do any better and you're then focused on, I don't want to, you know, uh, be playing, but if you at least kind of pick something to do in the game like you're saying objective even if it's small even if it's not going to win you the game you, you your focus is on the game then and so you're still trying to you know uh help the experience for everybody to to keep your focus on the game and not try to check out completely and just 
moan and complain like oh, I, you know, I made such bad choices. Like if you can pick that small objective, you know, at least then you're, you're helping the game continue and you're, and potentially you could re-energize yourself into the game by finding that new goal or task. So I, I, I think I, I may pick that technique up because <laughs> my, my, the trap I fall into is that I can tell that I'm not going to win. You know, sometimes you're just like, I really feel like I can win this. I, I know I can do good. And then you haven't made the right decisions or taken the right actions. You just start to start, start to feel like you want to check out. I think people pick up on that and brings the game down. If you just start making obviously sort of stupid moves, I guess not, 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 not making stupid moves, but, but just taking your energy out of the game. Right. Mm -hmm. So keeping it in the game, I think is a better idea. Yeah. I like that. But the other thing too, is in, in miniatures games, you can always say particularly miniatures games where it's like, Hey, it's one-on-one. You can always say, Hey, you've got this. You won. Mm. Can we re-rack? Can we play, you know, let's start, let's start again. Let's play again. Let's re-rack the game and just start over or play a different scenario or a different mission. Maybe the, maybe the mission or the scenario you're playing wasn't really good for the army you brought to the table or the crew you brought to the table. In a board game or a role-playing game or many other games where it's not one-on-one and you can just say, hey, let's re-rack and start over. Yeah. Hey, we're playing Magic and you know what? You've got this game. And I fold. I'm it's out. Like another two or th- <laughs> yeah. It'll be another two or three turns, but there's no way I'm going to win. Let's let's fold and shuffle it back up and start again, right? Those kind of games, it's really easy to do that. When you're playing a board game or, you're, or an RPG, you're stuck at the table – yeah, for the you know the three or four other players yeah. or five or six other players for the duration, right? It, you don't want to be the person that says you know, even though you're not having a good time, you know, maybe not having as good a time as you want because the game's not going your way or yeah. the, mm-hmm. or you don't like the game or whatever that might be. You can definitely find something. Try to find something in the game or the people you're playing the game with. Another thing to do is just make small talk, make conversation. Don't. Uh, that's not about the game. Yeah, don't right. yeah. don't yeah. like the game is there to supplement this social hanging out with people thing it's not like hey we're gonna play a game and it might be fun like it was you know we just played ghostbusters for board game brunch and you know <laughs> it got to a point where like for me the game kind of stopped being fun because none of us could manage to kill off the big stay puff start marshmallow man and it <laughs> just got to be this ridiculous series of rounds of play where None of us could roll a four better. And okay, well, this is kind of silly because you can see the inevitable conclusion of the game. It's going to come three or four rounds, you know, ahead of time. You like, okay, we're going to win. Like the game is unless unless we absolutely can't roll a four plus. But then it was just like the silliness, and it got a little redundant and boring. And it was that was one of those points. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily fun, but. There were things, you know, hey, we're going to start talking, uh, you know, about what else is, you know, other things that are going on or like talking about what we're going to do, get ready to do for the podcast, talking about just these other topics in it. And, you know, never, I don't, I hope that nobody really picked up too much that I wasn't having fun at the game table playing this game that we all agreed to play. Those kind of things, kind of, that kind of technique can help you avoid being gripey and complaining about something like hey how's your kid doing at school or hey how's your you know how's work going for you or some other small talk technique and we're not all the best at small talk but that's a a way to 
get back into the social element of the game and all of a sudden spark some conversation that gets you out of the the negativity rut you're in yeah. and into, okay, now I can refocus maybe and bring some of that positivity of looking for some something in the game that I can might be able to still get some enjoyment out of. Yep. I just focus on how do I let Suzanne win the game and not Ben. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's another. I, I've heard people say that at the table and and do that very thing at the table. And you know what? You know I play into it and I'll take the lumps like like every like I you know I feel like I got big shoulders. I can take the lumps. It's fine. I'm the victim. It's okay. Yeah, the idea kind of crossed my mind when you were talking about like the whatever miniature game versus board game like where somebody might have their whole strategy figured out or whatever like i feel like depending on your group or whatever in a board game like with more players there's lots of different experience levels there and stuff too Mm. and i feel like i have an easier time doing that like maybe this one person's crushing all of us but like the other three of us are kind of more in the same boat and a little more competitive that way where like a one-on-one game it's kind of harder to deal with that like where ben's joker crew is stomping my teeth in or whatever <laughs> kind of thing but if you have like you know a five-player game and one person's crushing you but the other four of you are kind of competing like that makes it a little easier too, just to have a varying experience level where you're not just completely outclassed and it kind of is a little easier to feel like you're still you know having a good game for some reason yeah, it's it's like when we play azul and, and we we just kind of ignore Suzanne's score <laughs> and the rest of us try to figure out what our score and who won. I mean, that's where I go. I mean, yeah. just because, you know, only a Suzanne got like 140 and the rest of us were like, but I got like 65 and Ben was at 70 and I felt pretty good about that. Mm-hmm. She wasn't quite that lopsided. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't quite that bad at it. But uh, yeah, no, th- there's, there's a lot of things you can do to help get yourself out of a negative rut at the game table and allow that to feed into everybody else's negative experiences. We would love to hear what you do to get yourselves out of that rut when you get into that negative space. So reach out to us, hit us up on our social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and let us know what your thoughts are on how you get yourself out of that negative rut while you're at the gable t- gaming table and that you can keep your cool and stay cool and, and keep that social contract up and going and have everybody having fun at the same time. All right. That's it for today's episode. So we've talked about uh, that great game distilled in that interview. I hope you really enjoyed it. I really think this is a game you should take the time to back on Kickstarter. It's a phenomenal game. And then uh, we've, just wrapped up uh, on how to stay cool at the gaming table and then we had a amazing hobby uh corner this t- this week uh caught up on some great hobby projects and th- man you guys have been playing way too many games lately because that <laughs> we went on forever talking about all these games we've been playing it was pretty awesome so thank you so much for listening make sure you leave a review of this show wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts Oh, and by the way, give us a like on our Facebook page. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest while you're at it. If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at wiscodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Oh, darn. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Wiscodice.com. That's right. It's wiscodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out. <laughs>